So good evening, everybody. Welcome. We have a very brief hour and a quarter to get through something that we thought uh, might take us a week, but we've just been chatting. It might take us a month. So we'll see how we get on. The reason for today's talk about Lecoq and UK theatre is the launch um, in paperback of the book written by Mark Evans and Rick Kemp, the Routledge companion to Jacques Lecoq. <laughs> That's the hardback. The paperback is cheaper. Uh, to which a number of people on the panel have also contributed. It offers essays and a thorough overview and analysis of Lecoq's life, work and philosophy of theatre. And so that's a happy moment for me to then introduce the panel, um, starting with Mark, who trained with Lecoq and also with Gaulier and Monica Pagne in the mid-1980s. He's now a professor of theatre and training and education at Coventry University. He does teaching and research and has over 15 years' experience directing, performing new plays, site-specific and community projects. He's also written on Jacques Copeau and also the influence of sport on Jacques Lecoq's actor training. Leia Hausman, also trained at Lecoq in the early 1980s. Leia and I were there together. Um, Leia is a choreographer, movement director and director. She works in theatre and increasingly in opera throughout Europe and in the United States, often working with partners such as Terry Gilliam and Neil Bartlett, and she has a couple of projects coming up also with Simon McBurney. Her productions have been mounted at the Royal Opera House, La Scala Milan, the Met, the Royal Court, and beyond and beyond. Toby, <laughs> trained at Lecoq in the late 80s and early 90s, and has appeared, as many people might know, on stage, television, and in film. The Observer's film critic, Mark Kermode, is a committed fan. Notable roles include Truman Capote in the biopic Infamous, and Alfred Hitchcock in The Girl. Also, one of my favourites is as Lance on television in The Detectorists, and also on TV in Marvelous. And recently, he played in The Birthday Party in The West End. Simon Murray is Senior Lecturer of Theatre Studies at the University of Glasgow. Although he didn't train at Lecoq, he did spend a year in Paris with Philippe Gaulier and Monica Pagne, who, as many people know, both themselves trained and were teachers at L'Ecoq Jacques Lecoq. Simon was the first to produce an academic monograph on Lecoq's work for the Routledge Performance Practitioners series. He spent 10 years as a professional theatre maker and performer, and he now focuses on academic work on the politics and regimes of actor and performer training, and the politics of collaboration, and the relation between ruins, ruination, and theatre. So, that's the panel, and uh, my role is to, I'm Claire Brennan, and I um, write reviews on theatre for the Observer newspaper. The subject of today's event is Lecoq's influence on UK theatre. We reckon that there's somewhere around 500 to 1,000 UK students have studied at his Paris school from 1957 to the present. Um, this can be traced in contemporary staging, sonography, creation through devising, the use of sound and music on stage, and, of course, in movement practices on stage. Former Lecoq students are performers, choreographers, directors, movement specialists, teacher trainers, and writers, and the scope is reflected to some extent by the panel. Just before, just before we go on, and I'm going to go on very quickly, and, and I'm going to very quickly race through uh, Lecoq's voyage in theatre before we, we continue, but before we do that, Anybody here who did not go to Lecoq or did not train with <laughs> Gaulier or Monica? So everybody else did. So it was kind of, that's interesting. <laughs> so for, for many people, a lot of what we're going to be talking about is familiar, and for some people, less familiar. And so our aim today is not to try and give an in-depth analysis of all the various ways in which Lecoq's training has actually affected theatre in the UK. As we said, that would just take us far too long. So each panellist is going to give snapshots and fragments of the teaching, how this informs their own understanding in ways theoretical and practical. So now I'll give a brief resume of what Lecoq called his own voyage in theatre. Born in 1921, Lecoq trained in sport and began to be involved in theatre just after the war. He performed and taught in France with a company that grew out of Jacques Copeau's troupe, and he was imbued with its spirit the desire to go towards the public with a form of theatre that was simple and direct. With this troupe, he discovered no theatre and the play of masks. In the late 1940s, early 1950s, he went to Italy and there discovered Commedia dell'arte, the theatre of the human condition, as he put it, in its state of urgent need. 
And also in Italy, he worked with the sculptor Amaletto Sartori and developed the neutral mask that would become the cornerstone of his pedagogy. With Dario Fo, Lecoq created polemical reviews, and through Giorgio Strehler at the Piccolo Teatro of Milan, he encountered Greek tragedy and set up a school for that theatre. Returned to Paris, he worked with Jean Villard's TNP and made for TV 26 comic silent films. In 1956, he set up the school, facing the question that would occupy him until his death in 1999. How to create not a theatre school, but a school of all the theatres. From 1999, the school has continued, led firstly by his wife Faye until her own death in 2012, along with his daughter Pascal. It now continues through Pascal and through teachers, notably Joss Hoban, and it ensures that Lecoq's pedagogy is a living, growing interaction with students that offers them a base from which to create their own theatres of the future, not only in the UK, but throughout the world where they've also developed their own pedagogies and continue to develop them in their own schools. And now Simon will take us through some of the cultural preconditions that helped Lecoq's work to come into the UK and become so firmly established and to flourish here. Uh, thank, you, thank you, Claire. Um, I think we felt that just before uh, my friends here sort of drill down and look at some of the, the, the detailed uh, qualities of the school and approaches, it might be worth just reminding us that although people's decision to go to Lecoq is, an, is apparently an, a unique individual decision, these kind of acts, there's always some sort of cultural context which sort of frames the situation. And I think when I've thought about why so many uh, UK-based people have, have trained with Lecoq, then I'm a sociologist by tradition, uh, by training rather, I'm kind of obliged to look at some of the wider forces that, that, that inform that and maybe shape those decisions. Um, so there's a wider context. And I just very briefly want to identify some of those factors. And I don't think I'm suggesting that these are unique to the UK, but somehow coming together, they may explain the, the, um, the multitude of people that more than any other single country, I'm right in saying, that uh, has contributed to... Uh, studentship of Lecoq School. Um, and there are different orders of explanation here. The first one, I want to just point to the 1968 moment, uh, which uh, some of people of my age were actually involved in and can remember and uh, were there. Um, but this was the culture of, this was the moment, and it was more than 68, it, it predated 68 and spread over to 69 and 70, uh, of student occupations, workers' strikes, a time uh, when a lot of the established rules and protocols and beliefs and behaviours were being challenged by different uh, sectors, of sectors of society. Uh, it was a time which uh, enabled and encouraged people to take more control over their own lives. And the rise of the women's movement, the civil rights movement, the lesbian and gay movement, uh, and so on, all were, a, were not simply caused by that, were, but given a frame uh, for uh, those developments by those moments of 68. Um, how does that connect then to people going to Lecoq? I think the rise of devised theatre and performance uh, has its roots in the cultural zeitgeist, or to use Raymond Williams' wonderful phrase, structures of a feeling of 1968. Lecoq's autocore, which Mark will talk about in much more detail in a moment, uh, was absolutely a response to the student activism of that time in Paris. Um, devising marks the rise of collectively authored theatre practices and has its contemporary roots in the desire of young theatre groups, or not so young theatre groups, to have their voices heard, to create their own material, to put their own signature on the work that is being made. Another, probably not slightly different kind of force, I think, that was bubbling up at that time, was an awareness that mainstream actor training through the conservatoires, the academies, and the drama schools uh, inadequately attended to the body as the source of creativity and expression. Um, too much, perhaps, acting from the neck upwards. 
Although paradoxically, perhaps given where we are, Laurence Olivier, this institution's first artistic director, was an immensely physical performer. But that sense that the drama schools were not attending to movement, that hugely important dimension of being on stage, wherever that stage might be. Um, uh, again, in a sort of connected way, and it may not seem very obvious, I think, uh, at the moment, was that in other disciplines, in uh, disciplines like literature, geography, economics, women's studies, cultural studies, sociology, there was increasing awareness of the importance of the body. Uh, and the body begins to figure in all sorts of debates and discussions in these other disciplines, which actually have nothing to do with theatre per se, but nonetheless help to inform the, the sort of zeitgeist of that moment. Um, and crucial to that, I underpinning that, is this understanding of bodies, our bodies, your bodies, that we are not simply they are not simply biologically given and fixed, they're culturally, socially, psychologically inscribed and patterned. Um, all these are matters which, if we had time in a different context, we could discuss in much more detail, or challenge, maybe. I want to move on to a different kind of order of explanation or a different order of influence. And that is the kind of infrastructure that was being built up in the UK uh, from the 60s onwards. And that is the expansion of the Arts Council's remit, uh, the establishment of regional arts boards and local authorities becoming much more involved in, in setting up the conditions for performance, uh, uh, funding arts centres uh, and so on. Um, Organisations like the Mime Action Group, later to be renamed Total Theatre, the Centre for Performance Re Research in Cardiff and then later Aberystwyth, the London International Mime Festival founded in 1977 and extraordinarily still going today, uh, and the International Workshop Festival, all validated and encouraged forms of experimental, often devised movement theatre. In 1995, I was involved in an event at Manchester Metropolitan University called Moving Into Performance, which was a series of laboratories and workshops and, and, uh, um, and a, a mini-conference, which brought together a whole range of performers and academics from different parts of the non-mainstream theatre sector. And at that event, somebody who you may know of, called Enrique Pardo, a uh, theatre maker, a poet and voice specialist, said rather critically, is this a lecoq Gaulier club? Implying that <laughs> there were a whole range of other influences about movement theatre, Grotowski, dance theatre and so on, which should have been given more, uh, given a greater place. There's at the same time, we have the development of what used to be called the small-scale touring circuit. I say used to be called because it hardly exists today. It certainly doesn't exist in the same way. And the small-scale touring circuit, precisely that sort of set of conditions, um, allowed the graduates from Lecoq, who set up their own companies, to have some sort of platform for their performance. Um, and two final points I think I want to make. One, around that time we have an enhanced disposition of young people to travel, uh, to travel abroad, an increased internationalisation of theatre production, and the proximity of Paris to the UK. Not to be underestimated, that very sort of mundane fact that Paris ain't far away. Considerably, considerably closer to here than Glasgow, where I live. And another final point, which is extraordinarily important for somebody of my age who's lived through <laughs> these decades, for Christ's sake, um, uh, the ability to sign on and sign off, the, uh, the, the range of state-funded support systems for artists, well, for anybody, in fact, but particularly to allow artists and theatre makers to move in and out of work and still pay the bills. That's almost gone today. But those were one of the sets of conditions which sort of helped uh, people coming out of Lecoq to sustain, a to at least start off and sustain a career in theatre. Much more to be said, but that's enough. Thanks a lot, Simon. So <laughs> thinking about this small scale touring and the actors moving around and being able to do so by being funded, um, Leigh is going to talk about how through physical techniques, Lecoq gives you the tools and maps for your journey through theatre. Yes, through well, performance. I think um, 
The thing to just add on to you, of course, is that it is, an it is a hugely international place. And when you talk about the funding, you know, growing up in the United States, going on to further education after university there is so bloody expensive that Lecoq looked like a great option to me. <laughs> and that gave me the opportunity to come over and look at and put together, I think, a series of things that f in my life um, were uh, sli slightly uh, disparate, but at the same time, Lecoq seemed to be the, the place where it came together, where a background in dance and, um, and a background in theater kind of merged so that um, the exploration, especially of the first year, was such a revelation. And I think for most people, the first year is really the f a fundamental year where you discover um, so many things about yourself, but also you're giving the tools and the, um, the, uh, the challenge of analyzing what the body does. So that's my what I do at the moment. Um, and I really think that my way of looking and my way of working comes so crucially from Lecoq because he was always insisting on and looking for, and I suppose when I'm in a rehearsal room, it's what I'm watching, finding um, the truth in a movement, in a gesture, uh, in a text, in a situation. And then I think, well, how did, you know, so much of the school was about analysis that the first thing he did is, is ask you why and how do you find that truth? And one of those challenges is to present to you a kind of um, a broad range of techniques. So you're, you're hit with um, work on Feldenkrais, which if anybody has been to Lecoq, will have done a kind of fundamental version of what it is. You're not going in depth into it, but you're given some of the crucial um, points. It, it, it's a technique that was you know, developed by watching babies move. How do we get from our stomach to our back and back onto our stomach again in the most natural and efficient way? Because the body has an incredible efficiency about it. Um, how do you look at your foot? How many different ways can you look at the bottom of your foot? And frankly, there's only those three ways. <laughs> you know, try to find another way. I mean, there are, there are variations on those ways, but, and in doing so, you start to make a relationship between your hips and your shoulders and your neck and your pelvis. So Feldenkrais was a really crucial kind of p underpinning to, to know where you are in your body. Um, then he throws it on your head and makes you do acrobatics, which Toby said he wasn't going to do. <laughs> he said, I don't do that. I think that's hilarious because you come to the school not knowing that you're going to have to learn how to do a backflip. Um, and it, so he, he takes the word and put all of this Feldenkrais is put on its head and instead of being on your feet, you walk on your hands or you, instead of going forward, you have to go backwards. Um, you have to defy gravity. You have to find out how do you get yourself up in the air in order to do, uh, you know, a, a back handspring or a flip. Um, and you do, a, you know, it's this preconception also that it's a mime school. It's, and we all spend a lot of time saying, well, it's not just a mime school. It does a lot of other things. But you do spend an immense amount of time learning how to push. <laughs> and what is the position of the body when you have to push, you know, pelvis forward, neck forward, shoulders back. And how do you create this tension within the body to create an illusion outside of myself? So. I tell you, this is something I use all the time, especially working with singers. Come on, get up for a second. <laughs> you got two people coming on stage. They're got some massive dramatic love scene. There is absolutely no energy going on between them. <laughs> so the first thing I ask them to do is to put their arms, to, to push against each other like this. Yeah, with their elbows wide and their chests nice and forward and look, look into each other's eyes to really press. That's it. And breathe. <laughs> no, 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 no. And I'm breathe oh while I'm you're pressing, <laughs> because <laughs> the first thing you do is, oh my god, I stopped breathing. Okay, so you've got to breathe. And also to sing, of course, you need to breathe. You have to be able to breathe. So nice open I thought shoulders. You were ask us to sing that no, no, no. No singing required <laughs> here. That's what I love. Then you're gonna take your weight onto your own, you know, just take your own weight and let your arms go down and keep the eye contact. And all of a sudden the the energy between them is alive. So I'm just going to do this, and now you're going to press against my hands. Press, 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 press. Yeah, that's it. Now you hold your own weight, and I walk away. And 
you can, it's something tangible. You can sort of see it. Now, holding his breath. So, you know, all of a sudden the life goes out. So I won't go into a whole further explanation, but simply by enlivening the space outside of you, you all of a sudden put a person in front and this notion of what w those who have gone to the school, point fixe. You know, you have a point in space and you identify it and you hold it and then you take that away, but I keep that point of focus. All of a sudden things come alive when you start to energize the space outside of yourself and the school teaches that so in so many different ways about how to energize a space um, around you. So, uh, you know, and aside from that, you go big study of masks, which maybe we'll talk about a little bit later. Um, and then Lecoq's own version of stuff. Like he's got his own uh, variety of movements that he puts you through. And at the end of the first year, th there's a group of 20 movements and we won't really try to do them all. We might demonstrate one or two. But um, somehow this ana analyzing the most simple and basic of movements. So for instance, an undulation. So you spend a long time r thinking, where does this movement begin? Does it begin in my knees or my pelvis? So you, you know, you work on that, this sort of swing of the, of the pelvis forward, and then, better to do sideways for you all, you know, moving up the spine and out. And that's, and it often throws you forward. Again, this is like the body does this naturally. When you <coughs> throw up, you do it naturally. When you <laughs> laugh, <laughs> so, <coughs> or cry. <laughs> So in a sense, the body does things without me having to act. So what I found so delicious is that the onus comes off of you as a performer or an actor, or indeed even a director, you know, when you're working on something, to act. The actor doesn't act, the actor behaves. And these sets of, um, these technical uh, movements that he gives you gives the format or the rules of the game that you're playing in. And I think that's crucially what, what, what a good director, movement director, even an actor, if you want to speak in other terminology, you could say there's a you know, big objective um, and there's an obstacle. And by create putting the obstacle, or as Lecoq used to say, the baguette de merde, you know, don't get rid of the thing that makes a problem because it's the problem that creates something dramatic. So all of these things play so beautifully into work with actors who, you know, at a certain point you stand up and you just, you're not really sure what to do. It's something about honing in to the center of the work, which is the performer um, and how they function. <laughs> can I go on a tiny bit? Yes. So the other thing, <laughs> mom, can I go, can I say some more? No, the other thing that I really find useful, and it's just talking about what's filtered down from how, man, how many years ago was it? You know, a long time ago. Um, is this sort of way he had of gauging the, the ebb and the flow of an event or the natural rise and the fall of an event. And it from something so simple as where your hands are in a, in a scene or in a moment can tell us so much just by having my hands on my head. It all of a sudden induces a kind of state of going here, this, the, the, something I can't speak. <gasps> here I'm already I don't have to have my hands here, but the heart enlivens or covering, holding. There's some news. Somebody knocks on the door. And here you're starting to look at the beginnings of melodrama. Um, he, he breaks it down for you in that way. There's other lots of exercises about how you break down an event, uh, something's about to happen. And this sort of seven states of tension of the body where, you know, the first is you're absolutely catatonic, the second is kind of spaghetti, the third is neutral, the fourth is ready and available or suspicious of what's going on. Five is really underlining everything and we he head into the great passions. Six is so full of tension that you can barely speak 
and seven is the explosion. So you start to use this with actors or singers, either as, in a, t as a teaching tool, but also when you're in the rehearsal room. If you can sort of get this little vocabulary going with them, it just releases absolutely everything in a scene. And you go, here comes Don Alfonso, and he's, he's in two. So one character is here, and the other one is here. And al already you have a drama, because the bodies themselves tell a story. And I think we'll get more onto that when we talk about masks, what, what this tells us, as opposed to this. And Simon's going to tell us now about the body-telling stories. Thank you very much, Leah. <laughs> I'm sorry to interrupt. No, no. So Simon's going to tell us more about the forms in which the bodies tell stories. Mark, Mark no. is going to tell <laughs> us more. I'm sorry, I beg your pardon, Mark. <laughs> At the moment, that. Um, yeah, I mean, there's so much we could talk about. I, I wanted to talk in particular about the autocore, because I think that's a very distinctive part of the school. The sort of legend that went round the school at the time was that that came out of Les Avermans, that it came out of students wanting to have opportunities to explore their own making and their own voices. Um, and I, th I think, though, the, the, the shock for me, one, one of the shocks for me when I arrived at the school was this idea that you were paying all this money and then you'd be left alone for a significant period of time to do your own stuff. And it's the shock of learning that you're going to teach yourself as well as be taught. And I think that's a very important part of the school and, uh, and the ethos that you take away from you with the school as well, that it's not just about being taught, it's about teaching yourself. And the degree of critique that you get at the school, um, just with the work that you were doing with Claire and I there, it brought back that sense of being constantly, and it's not critique, it's, not, um, it's critique, not criticism, if you like. It's observation, not, um, uh, not opinion. So I it's telling you all the time, this is what your body's doing, this is what your body's saying to us. And that, that felt like a really important part of the school as well. Uh, I, thi I think the autocore, the other shock that comes out of the autocore is you keep doing it. So for week after week, <laughs> you are making and generating material. And it's not like where you go to a workshop for a weekend and everybody's happy at the end of it and goes for a drink. There are crises, there are huge tensions, there are fights, there are battles, there are tears. But <laughs> uh, you, learn, you learn that that's part of it and that actually sort of being nice doesn't make theatre. Um, so uh, but I think you get in the habit, you learn the habit of making, of creating, of, of improvising, so much so that it it's hard when you come back from the school not to do it. You feel drawn to it somehow and you want to find, you want to seek those places out again. And you also learn to just get up and do it. Y you learn that, you know, a certain amount of talking won't get you very far. I remember the first, and I think it's nearly always the first autocourt, is a place and an event. Um, and it seems so simple. So our group, we thought, you know, a couple of hours rehearsal, we got it cracked. Great, we got the rest of the week. Get to the next, and it was Wednesdays then. We get to the next Wednesday, we were ripped apart. We were absolutely rubbish. And from then onwards, you cannot find enough time, you cannot find enough space, you are working every moment because you don't want to go back to that place of being to totally wrong and bad and non se passa again. Um, there are some significant, for me, well, everybody I think has their significant moments in the autocourse, so, or their, their significant autocourse. And I remember with a, such a lot of affection, um, uh, things like the, the village, the recreation of a village, and you, you take a, a, a typical French village and the whole group, so the, uh, the years, is, uh, in the first year, the years has broken down into morning and afternoon groups, couple of groups in the afternoon. So there's about 30 of you and you create a village, you create the whole feeling of it. And that, you, you, that um, is a two week long piece. Um, but it's such a lesson in learning how to observe, but then also how to shrink that whole observation, that 24, 24 hours down into a, no more than 20 minutes, more than 20 minutes, and it's, it's boring, weirdly. Um, and I think that's a key part of what you learn at the school, but very much what you learn with the autocore is you're playing with the elements of theatre, and you learn that you, there's all those assumptions that you thought you had about theatre can all be taken apart and remade. So time doesn't have to work in, in a naturalistic way. Things can be very, very condensed and very short in a period of time. Um, one glance, one moment can seem like it's an hour long and a, an hour or 24 hours worth of life can be compressed into 20 minutes. That space 
doesn't, you know, you, you can occupy a massive amount of space or you can take a tiny little piece of space. You can, you can play out Lord of the Rings on a, on a tiny little stage and the whole thing will still make sense. And I think that's a massive thing you take away from the school, that it just opens out your language of theatre, your appreciation of what's possible in the sense that I think there are theatre shows we see now in the UK, like, I mean, Warhorse would be a good example, and you think that would not have been stageable without that kind of approach to be able to say, look at what you can do if you take these tools and you use them as freely as your imagination is going to allow you to use them. Um, so that sort of, challenge of challenging of assumptions, I think, is really important. Um, the other bit I remember was Les Enquêtes, which is the end of the first year, so it's the kind of final term of the first year, where you're just sent out to find something, to so find a milieu, a, um, a place, an environment, a, a workplace maybe in Paris, and recreate it. So you go out first of all, the first few weeks, you're just observing, you're just looking, and then you're bringing things back and you're trying things out, and then you're... But again, what you learn is the, the, the importance and the power of observation, but also that sense... Toby was talking a, a bit about it earlier when we were talking earlier, about the, an interest in what is the world of a play or of an environment? What's its poetry? What's, how does it work? How do people move in that space? What are the, the dynamics, the movements of that space? It changes your approach to, to, to how you approach a play, I think. And I think you can see some of that. You see that in the work of Complicity, where it's not just, they don't just take a play and do a play. There's a world that's generated around that. And I think that's an enormously powerful thing. Um, and then into the second year, of course, there's the cartoon storytelling. So for me, my first kind of introduction to this place in Paris that it might be good to go to was watching Moving Picture Mime Show. People here remember, of a certain generation might remember Moving Picture Mime Show. And Toby Sedgwick, who did the movement for Warhorse, was one of the founder members of, of Moving Picture Mime Show. And just this sense that you could do all, you could create the Seven Samurai, the film The Seven Samurai, in an empty black, one of those empty black studios. Um, that this sort of anything was possible within a studio of that, uh, of that time was just um, wonderful. And this, there was, because at that time in the 70s, 80s, there were two, there were two strands of mind. There always sort of, there was always the Decoux and the Lecoq kind of sections of the mime world. Um, and it just felt like a breath of fresh air. That's this sort of playful approach placed against the, the more serious, more silent, um, world that was coming through the uh, Decroux and Marceau um, traditions at that time. Um, and tragedy, that sense of the chorus that uh, seemed to be such an important part of, of, well, it was certainly an important part of European theatre, I think, the idea of the, the ensemble and the chorus. And I think that came, that was one of those things that came into UK theatre at an important time, um, a sense of, of a, a real genuine ensemble and, and what that might mean. And many of the companies that have come out of the Lecoq School, I think, do work in that sort of genuine ensemble way. It's a challenge when you're not in that environment, but that, that's a, an important part of how they work. And that the other parts uh, of, of the second year, um, which I think have changed and evolved over time, there's certainly there are probably people in the room who know more about this, about the way in which um, Buffon has developed, the, the sort of satirical deformed world of the Buffon has emerged and developed through the teaching. The clown, which again came out of the sort of experiments of the 60s and the work of Pierre Bilon and um, Philippe Gaulier. Um, and uh, the Commedia dell'arte work, which um, moves more into the sort of the, the human comedy, the, the idea of the, the struggle to survive um, in, a, in, in a world full of those kind of um, very human pressures of, of needing to feed, needing to recreate, needing to um, avoid death at all costs. Um, the Clown, I think, yeah, emerged in the late 60s. And the, the, the names that I remember going to see, people like Mick Wall, um, now alas, deceased, um, Justin Case, uh, Chris Harris, uh, people who inspired me, who were part of that sort of very small scale. And I th th that was part of the issue, I think, in UK theatre at the time when many of those early 1970s Lecoq graduates were coming out. Where did you go? Where, where could you perform? Who could you perform with? And there weren't that many of them. So there were a lot of solo acts in those days. Uh, uh, and I think the only other thing just to, that, that the, the autocore bizarrely creates, it's created, I think, a, an important change as Simon's indicated already, about the way in which devised theatre has evolved in the UK. It provided, and actually, a training in devising theatre that I think is fairly unique. I don't think you can get that still anywhere in the UK. 
and more specifically a kind of structure and a language for how you would talk about uh, and engage in that process of devising that's fairly rare. Um, nonetheless, I think the, the difficulty that that creates, for certainly for my generation coming out of the Lecoq School, was very much that people didn't get it. When you came back into the UK theatre in the early 80s and you told people, I do this, they say, what? Why? <laughs> <laughs> they didn't understand what the, the skills that we had. Um, so it really did feel like your only other option was to do it yourself and to make your own work. And I think that's one of the specific ways in which Lecoq trained people have impacted on the UK is there's been a certain amount of entryism, so we've, we have found our way into working in those fields, but we've also, there's been a sort of striking out of, no, we're going to do it this way, because that's the way we like to do it, and that we're naturally drawn to do it in that way. And I, I think over time we've seen that, that grow and emerge. I think I'm done. Thank you very much, Mark. <laughs> Thank you. So, Toby, you were talking interestingly earlier about as Mark was saying, you know, how we see it grow and emerge, and you were talking interestingly about two things, I thought, uh, that relate to that. One was that you felt that one of the things the school did was train teachers to, to, to help to move on the ideas. And the other thing I thought that was kind of pertinent that you said was how it trains you to think about film, interestingly, which is something people perhaps don't associate yeah. so much with Lecoq and the training. I'm very aware... Um of, of the atmosphere of us speaking and the kind of breathless <laughs> quality of just how much information that one's trying to get it's out. Terrible. At any <laughs> time. Uh, I, 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 when I'm asked about uh, uh, what it was like to be at Lecoq, you know, there's, there's, there's two options. There's the, the paraphrase option, and you go, it was great. Uh, <laughs> it changed my life. Uh, it changed the way I see everything. And then there's the other one where you go, have you got a week in which I could tell you about lessons that I still remember so vividly and I, uh, the people I met and the struggles I went through and the doubt that I had and the fear that I had and the incredible journeys that I went on. There's that answer and you feel, certainly in a room which has a lot of people who went through that together, you, I could, I'm very aware that everyone has their own vivid story to tell of the experience of that school. And I think that's a remarkable feature of the school is that we remember the, the concrete nature of the teaching, that the teaching was so um, comprehensible and so brilliantly delivered in an ongoing sequence of units that overlapped with each other, that Lecoq had constructed a journey whereby you were learning something with your body, um, whether you liked it or not, uh, you know, an analysing your body with uh, acrobatics or analysis of movement. You'd be improvising with that body and together you'd, on your own, you'd be exploring that according to rules that Lecoq had set up. And this overlapping journey that you go on over two years, which weirdly feels like a progress and you feel like something's happening and you're looking at each other and you're trying to understand from each other what, what, you're under, what they are understanding about what on earth is going on. <laughs> and that overlap between the students about trying to, you know, again, this sort of breathless struggle to understand, partly a linguistic thing, but also mainly in just in the way that it was taught, which is you find your own journey through talking to each other. And, I, uh, you know, even in this room of, you know, a lot of people who went to that school, you can feel that, yes, but what you didn't tell them was, you know, what I went through. It was really like this. And, and I think that is expressed in many ways in the sheer diversity of paths that come out of the school, that the school points in all of these various directions, um, not all physical, some cerebral, uh, not all um, to do with theatre at all, some to do with, uh, uh, you know, paratheatrical activities or counselling or therapy and all of this area that, the that in trying to understand what is so deceptively simple, you know, uh, seven levels of tension, balance a platform, um, 
try moving it clockwise, now try moving it anti-clockwise. Breathe with it, now breathe, but breathe in when you do it, now breathe out when you do it. How does that feel? Does it feel different? Can you assess what that feels like? What does that feel like? What, what did it feel like to you? What is he on about? You know, that, that, <laughs> that, whole, that whole processing of this very deceptively simple material leads into this sort of m maze of options. And um, so when people say, yeah, but that all sounds like theatre, I go, well, um, film is a space, you know, film is uh, just another thing where a thing, uh, an observer is coming toward, the audience are coming towards you, as it were. So it's best if it's coming in very close, if the audience is very close in a close-up, it's probably best, not you, you, you don't need to, you're acting in counterpoint to the camera, you know, and your stage is your face. Or if you're in a long shot and you're on the top of a mountain, y you might need to make a big shape, just like if you're a commedia performer in a piazza. There's a bigger audience, you know, so you need to make big shapes. You're in Drury Lane and you're doing melodrama, you, make a you create a language of gesture. But if there's a close-up camera, you might, you might be that you use your eyes as a, as a gesture. All of which is to suggest that there's, it's all outside in, but... I think people paraphrase a lot of Lecoq stuff. Lecoq was very alert to the inside out as well, about how breath triggers emotion, about how the subjective... One of the first exercises you do is about a retrieval of your childhood. It's one of the very first things you do, and it takes an objective exercise and moves it into a subjective area and then invites you to transpose the subjective into something stylized. And and not at all afraid of abstract, uh, of, of ab abstraction, the whole lem area uh, uh, of, of studying colour and how that might trigger something inside you. And is that communicable? What is communicable? Uh, so I, I don't see any problem with film if you understand space, which is one of the extraordinary things about the school is it's teaching you about things that they don't bother teaching you anywhere else. Presence, space, um, how space affects you, how you affect space, and these huge subjects apparently, but taught in this very academic, uh, not academic, um, of the almost like structuralist way, where you're breaking things down into units and then building them up again. And so it's all very manageable. So you don't quite know why it is that you're crying at the end of every week, <laughs> or why you're fighting with each other to the death about why it has to be done this way. <laughs> uh, and it's all a bit of a shock when you then come over and you start working with people who haven't done that. And you've got so much life to give to any drama and so much to say about everything because you've been given all of this language and they want this little part of it as you do your little part in a, in a play and you're mixing with actors who haven't been through that and they've been through a different journey. And it's often a cultural... Uh, it's, there's a mix of two cultures that have to be negotiated, one not better than the other, but in a way the Lecoq actor has been, has been returned to the original state of the actor, which is that before producers, before designers, before directors, before writers, they were just actors going into spaces and making up stories and making sure that they made them compelling enough that people would hand, in, hand them the local currency and that they were understandable to people they'd never met before. And that's why the school's based on those Commedia troops to me, those Commedia troops who went all over the Europe and spoke in these different languages. And that vision I'm aware that I'm talking and talking. Uh, that, that vision is so romantic and so beautiful and so inspiring. You know, it's, it carries us. That's why we're all breathless to talk about the school still, is because it, it sustains you for the whole of your career, as he promised it would. Thank you, Toby. That's <laughs> really lovely. <laughs> And, and, and what you're saying is exactly that about uh, uh, taking everything away, and there you're left with the actor. Then there is the way that Le Lecoq prepares the actor to be the actor. And one of the ways he does that yeah. is through the neutral mask. Yeah, I mean, everything you're talking about, that finding the essential 
finding the essential, not just of the actor, but of theater itself. And one of the huge tools, which I know everybody, anybody who's been to the school will remember the trauma and the drama of the neutral mask. And for those people that haven't been to the school, you just have to look at the thing to, s to feel. <laughs> yeah, it's power. I mean, one, it, it is a beautiful object, and it is, it is one of the Satori masks, and it's made of leather, and it's, um, it took many years for Lecoq and Satori to develop this mask. And it was really devised as a, as a tool, not so much as a, a mask that you perform in, but as a tool, a teaching tool. And it does it so powerfully that there's nothing much to say. I would say, and before I use it with students, and, and I have used it, just in a rehearsal with, with professional actors, stroke singers, you know, um, who think it's great. They love putting it on, and then they go, oh my god, <laughs> this is much harder than I realized. And I think, um, I think uh, it's, um, it is a, a thing that developed along with his teaching, and in order to do it, he's created a journey around this. It's a it's a mask that doesn't have history, it doesn't have attitude, it doesn't, um, it's not tired, it's, um, it's, it's not, uh, doesn't have the human difficulty of fear or uh, anticipation or, it is, a, it is, in a sense, neutral. It is only the energy of the thing that it sees in front of it. Um, and in using it, you immediately see that it's not the face that plays, it is the body and the energy of the body that is what a performer gives out and what an audience perceives. And it's that classic thing of going, when you meet a great performer off stage and you go, God, they're so small. They felt so huge on the stage. And it's because we're not looking at the close-up face when we're in the theater, we're sensing the energy that comes off the person. And so finding this, this, this honesty or truth and understanding oneself is why everybody's so afraid of it. Because you're naked in, in front of everyone. And, and what I was going to say is when you use it with students, you have to just warn them this is a really bad way of teaching because no matter what you do, you're wrong. It doesn't work. <laughs> no one can do the mask. No one can achieve it. We can never go, that's right. It's the journey of, of trying to find it and discover it and realizing. Let's just put a, do a little demonstration, shall we? Here's one we prepared earlier. Um, it's, it's, um, it's only in doing it and observing people do it that you understand it. And we talked about this before. I'm just going to let you put that on. That the school is as much about observing as it is about performing. So much of what you learn comes from watching. Um, and the first thing is just to get to know the mask and you put it on. And just come and be you for a moment. Um, you're just going to look at the horizon. So her horizon is quite high. It's almost the sky, really. And as soon as the mask goes on, what reads, what you see is, is, is the whole. So one of the first things I, I notice is that the shoulder is slightly held. Maybe she's had an injury there. I don't know. Who knows? I, I wouldn't even, I just, it's an observation. It, her weight is slightly to one side. Um, you get a sensation from this. And it's no longer Claire. It's a, an energy. And if I said, um, we're just going to do what, what I w always call the sort of state of four, which is the state of readiness. It's like, you know, the dog and there's a ball. Okay, immediately our perception of this changes. And all of a sudden, like I said with the pushing, you have to breathe with all of this. It ha you see, she's in a freeze right now. So it, there's, yeah, there's a, yeah, <laughs> right? So as soon as we get fixed, the life goes out of it. But all of these things, I don't have to say them. You can see them. So you want to turn and take it off. Um, so without 
teacher. I never likes to say teacher. It's just with it, it, you're the observer. You're the one that's helping people to know themselves better. So you know. It's interesting what you say that because uh, 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 it, it is such a fundamental concept. This idea of neutrality. Everyone goes, oh, what's this weird neutrality concept? Uh, and, and in a way, it, it, the fact that Lecoq addressed it. It's the assumption that everyone else is working with in the world of theatre or everything is that there must there is a neutral place. So, as you say, you know, she looks at the horizon. You read that on a, in a script. The character l looks at the horizon as if every single actor will look at the hor same horizon the same way. And the assumption is that there is just one horizon. And I think that what Lecoq's one of the things of the, about neutrality is addressing the fact that. Leah can express anger, I can express anger, Simon can express anger. So somewhere there's anger in a neutral state. What is that? And it's impossible to reach, but it just philosophically, it's just a way of exploring. Yes. Exploring an assumption yes. that we're all using yes. all the time without questioning it. Yes, yeah. that's right. It's interesting. I mean, Lecoq actually says neutrality is a myth. It's never achievable. No. It's the journey, it's the yeah. attempt. Yes. Uh, to find that, but Which it's always elusive. Yes. We can't, we are who we are, we yeah. are you know, the way we, we uh, yeah. dress and move. There's that thing where by trying to not be like yourself, you actually find out more about what, it's what more. it is to be yourself. And well. so often the performer, we will see something, we'll feed back to the performer uh, our impressions, and the performer will say, oh, but that's not at all what I was thinking. So I'll say, throw a stone, and they throw the stone, and we see the mask, and it's incredibly strong and aggressive. And they say, no, but I was actually thinking about a bird flying across, you know, and you go, well, that's not what we saw. And then you have to question why, why didn't we see that? Where is the tension? And again, uh, the sort of the teacher in you comes out in the sense of, you know, are you holding tension somewhere that you're unaware of? And I see it time after time with singers, this unconscious gestures of the hands, not conscious gestures, which you don't know that you're doing, and yet they do them over and over again, over and over, repetitive movement, not coming into a fixed position. Um, we're never, you know, this, um, this point fixe or this sense of um, freeze, it's never, it's, it's always about a moment that's suspended in time. And the mask, like a camera, allows you to do, real, makes you realize that, that you only need to do so little. You, you, if, if the camera moves in, you have to s be still and reduce what you're doing down to an interior. Same like in an opera, when the music goes like that, you can't have people throwing themselves when the music done, does that. If anything, they need to do this. So the lessons that you learn about you know, how to, to perform yourself or, you know, and it's true in life. If everyone is screaming, don't join the group screaming. And that's in the way what the mm. mask helps you to do yes. through those processes is open you up to being complicit with others around you and disponible towards them. Um, and that brings us to a little uh, exchange here that uh, Simon and <laughs> Mark are going to give us, <laughs> which is on that very subject of complicité and disponibilité. Play complicité and disponibilité. Play complicité, disponibilité. Happy, libidinous, sensual and inseparable bedfellows. Lecoq calls play le jeu. Play, as in Royal Hunt of the Sun, where we watch actors conjure a journey across mountains on a bare stage. Lecoq did not invent the circumstances of play for theatre training, but it provides, as the philosophers say, a necessary condition for the life of all theatre. Play, as in Warhorse, where puppet horses come alive as real breathing beasts before our eyes. Play refuses authority, not through aggressive contestation, but by joyfully shifting the terms of the debate through slippage, laughter, deflection, the rough, the vulgar, the irreverent, the indirect angle of incidence and deriving from the oblique. Play offers actors the possibility of claiming agency in the construction of work. Play, as in Complicité Street of Crocodiles, when at a dinner table, spoons, forks and plates begin to vibrate and jump, animated by the actors, as if they had suddenly acquired a life force of their own. 
play, as in the Street of Crocodiles, when books apparently being read by the characters undulating from their spines become flapping birds. Play finds in error and failure a hope of redemption, the confidence that not knowing solutions is the first and last step of a democratic act. Play as in the manic cartoon mayhem of Moving Picture Mime Show's version of The Seven Samurai. Tim Etchells of Force Entertainment wrote, Play is a state in which meaning is in flux, in which possibility thrives, in which versions multiply, in which the confines of what is real are blurred, buckled and broken. Play thrives on the unruly and invites the inmates to take over the asylum. The playful actor mischievously challenges and undermines the expert director, playwright, choreographer or composer. Play. The pleasure of insouciance. Play, the frisson of uncertain outcomes. Play, the fearful delight in not knowing where you are heading. Play, the risk of throwing away the route map. Play, a cultural politics for over-prescribed times, for art in its own right and on its own terms. The disponible actor is open and receptive to the human and material environment in which they engage on stage. The disponible actor never says no to challenges. The disponible actor is always in the moment and aware of the theatrical possibilities of the moment. Disponibilité underpins all collaboration and group dynamics. Disponibilité, deeply embodied, cognitive, psychological and emotional. Complicité generates a shared understanding between performers. Complicité, the condition we desire to create between performers and their audience. Complicité, when present, we all understand the rules of the game, the spirit of play, le jeu. Complicité, in rehearsal for Street of Crocodiles, where all the cast sit back to back on the floor in pairs. As one leans backwards, the other curls forward. Like Siamese twins, their backs appear, from, appear joined from pelvis to neck. They stretch and push, a gentle discovery of each other's spines, bodies opening and preparing. Complicité, the company, preparing the physical and psychical condition of complicité amongst the ensemble. Complicité attends to rhythm, gesture, speech and form. Complicité, more the gleeful camaraderie of rogues, revolutionaries and sinners than the self-satisfied hand-holding of saints, the great and the good. <laughs> I'd just like to say that I think that all of us in uh, gathering together slightly just before we, we came to you said how strongly we feel, although we've been many years out of Lecoq, how strongly we feel how deeply embedded his teaching is within us and that Although we're talking about his influence on UK theatre, I think it's important that we say also that his school is an international and transnational school and that one of the great aspects of his pedagogy which has made it communicate to so many people in so many countries is its disponibility, its complicity, but it's searching for that communal fund, the communal poetic fund that he talks about which we can all as human beings recognise wherever we're from, whatever our background, and that he allows us to express by engaging us with complicité and disponibilité. And so we'd like to give the last words to Lecoq and Dario Faux in a little exchange that they had. <laughs> um, we had to arm wrestle who was Dario Faux and who was uh, Jacques Lecoq. Um, I am Dario Faux. And I'm younger than Jacques Lecoq. <laughs> we were children back... Sorry, I should say that this is an extract from a wonderful film made just before Lecoq died uh, by two French filmmakers, whose names escape me at the moment, uh, called Les Deux Voyages de Jacques Lecoq. Uh, you can buy it. It's on a DVD now. And it, it's, it's a beautiful, wonderful film, very moving at times and illustrates much of what we've been talking about today and much, much more, of course. So, um, and they're filmed sitting in a, on two armchairs together, these two quite old men, and it really was only a year before <laughs> uh, Lecoq died, I think. We were children back then. I was 23 and you were 25. So we were really just kids. We had no idea of the results of what we were doing. We just did it. We just made it up. 
but we had no idea. We weren't diplomats or strategic about anything. But there was a very important phenomenon that we were going through at the time. We were living among extraordinarily, extraordinary renewal. We had to throw away everything and construct a world. There were no more rules. There were no more rules. We had to make up the game again, find new rules. Thank you, Norman. I think that's the moment at which we should end because it, our time is up. Thank you all very much. I think that we've all shared something here for which we can thank the panel. Um, and thank you, everybody who's been to the party who hasn't. <laughs> <laughs>